trial and the change this one thing remains this one thing remains your love never fails and never gives up it never runs out on me your love never fails and never gives up never runs out on me your love never fails and never gives up it never runs out on me your love and on and on and on and on it goes till it overwhelms and satisfies my soul and I never
never gives up, never runs out on me. It's your love. Your stars they went morning sun was dead savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him Sun 
One more. 
Jesus has come and he triumphed over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave. He's freed us from sin. He's freed us. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that today with one voice, I love that part. And so, you know, I'm going to ask you to, to do it following when and we're taking communion and stuff because with one voice, Lord, that's the cry of, of my heart, is that we would be a, a church that has one voice, one mind, one purpose, one goal. And that is to do exactly what that song was saying, is to sing and shout it out loud. To proclaim that through all the earth, to proclaim over our town, over this region, over all the earth, that Jesus is alive, that he is alive, he is well, he is still rescuing, he is still saving, he is still redeeming, he is still breaking the chains of addictions, he's still, he's still rescuing people from the mire and the muck of sin and its consequences, and he's restoring people, restoring them. You see, God has, and I love this part, that when God made everything, I want you to know he didn't make us sinful. He didn't make us in the state that we have found ourselves in before we met Jesus. He made it all good. And in the end, I love how in the end, he's going to restore it all. And so along the way, as, as people encounter Jesus, they're being restored, hallelujah, to their original creation design. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that when we encounter the living Savior, when we are freed from, this, from, the, from the debt of sin and he's paid it all, that he, he begins that work of, of restoring us to who, and sometimes we need to know, he knows who we are, but sometimes we don't know who we are. And so I pray this morning that God, that we would, we would own that. We would own that song as our experience, but we'd also own that bridge to say, yes, that is the calling. That is the vocation. That is what we are to do as a body of believers is to sing it and shout it out loud with one voice in worship as we give our lives to Christ daily. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this time of corporate worship, and we thank you, Lord, for the meaning and the power that comes and the dynamic presence of your spirit that comes when we worship and we proclaim and we lift Jesus high. And 
So, Father, we just pray that, Holy Spirit, you will just continue to overshadow and tabernacle among us today, Lord, as we look into your word and as we as we uh, desire to cultivate and form our lives uh, according to your will and purpose for each and every one of us. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, just, just speak to us. Speak to us afresh. Just speak to us today. Just speak to us. And um, I don't know about you, but I uh, just want to let you know that I, I believe in tongues and interpretation and words of prophecy. So um, I just feel that there's times and moments when God may be moving upon someone to, to share something during worship. And, and uh, I just believe we need to have some, some liberty there to be able to do that. And so there's times when you sense that the Lord is moving upon you and there's a word of edification, uh, of comfort and strengthening. It's according to what Paul had taught us in 1 Corinthians 14, that when we, when we have inspired words from the Spirit, we're there to bring strength and comfort and, and, uh, and edification. So, Lord, we just thank you that you still speak. We still hear your voice. And I know that even in the worship, you speak to us. And that still small voice. Praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, worship team. Uh, just, I'm glad you kept going with that last song. It was, that was a blessing. Hallelujah. going to ask our ushers to come this morning as we, I think I can bring this out to the middle. You guys are down there a little, but I, I think I can do this. going to ask our ushers to come as uh, we receive our tithe and offering. And we're going to put the, uh, hope we can, put the prayer on the screen. Let's pray that together. That as we receive today's offering, we're believing you for a heaven open, earth invaded, storehouses unlocked, miracles created, dreams and visions, angelic visitations, declaration, impartation, and divine manifestations, anointings, giftings, and calls, positions, and promotions, provisions, and resources to go to the nations souls and more souls from every generation saved and set free carrying kingdom revival thank you father that as i join my value system to yours you will shower favor blessing and increase upon me so that i may have more than enough to co-labor with heaven to see jesus get his full reward hallelujah god bless you as you give this morning again Continuing in Joshua, Joshua chapter 5. Now we started in Joshua 1. And so we're kind of skipping ahead a bit here to Joshua chapter 5. And I want to speak on the subject of preparing for battle. Preparing for battle. Now if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about getting ready. And we talked about standing strong and holding on or hanging on. 
because uh, we know that Joshua was selected to be the next leader and they were going over into the land that God had promised them. And so I've heard songs. I used to listen to old bluegrass gospel songs of my father. And that was, I was, uh, yeah, I remember when I was in the 10th grade, I would have a Walkman. Now, many of the young people don't know what a Walkman is, but I had a Sony Walkman, Walkman. Some people call it a Walkman. I call it a Walkman. Because we back east, we just slurred all of our words together, right? So I would listen. This is the craziest thing, by the way. I listened to a bluegrass gospel quartet, you might as well call them. It was, it was southern gospel in overdrive. They were called the Bluegrass Cardinals. And um, so I was listening to alternative music before alternative music became a genre. That was alternative. And they used to sing this song, What Will You Do at the Crossing of Jordan? And they were saying, basically, that crossing of Jordan had to do with when you cross over to eternity. But I've discovered this, is that it's kind of hard to use that analogy because I'm thinking, why would there be a Jericho in, in, in heaven, right? Why would there be enemies that you'd have to take out? And so I'm sort of at this point where I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, I think that really when we're thinking about Canaan and the land of promise, that this probably connects more with the abundant life that Jesus wants to experience. But how many understand that even in the midst of moving into that, that there is an enemy? One of the enemies we have is the flesh. Another enemy that we have is the devil. And so I want you to know this morning, and you guys know this, this is probably elementary, that there are times when we are moving into battle. We're moving into battle. And the enemy doesn't want us to experience all that God has for us individually and corporately. And so therefore, he's going to fight against us. He's going to tempt us. He's going to try to allow the flesh to have its way. And he's also going to use other people. He's going to use circumstances. He's going to use all of the different things that he can throw at us. But here this morning, preparing for battle, I'm going to look at verse, verse I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. This is now in all the Amorite the background. So we find in chapter 3 that Joshua and the Israelites had crossed over the Jordan. Of course, that was a miraculous thing. It was a manifestation God's presence and his power among them. One of the things, important things that Joshua commanded them to do was that they were to follow the Ark of the Covenant. So when it moved, they would move. The direction that it went, they would go. Because the Ark of the Covenant would represent God's presence, his character, and God's power. And so we find that when the Levites who were carrying it, when they set their feet in the Jordan, the waters were cut off and they stood up in a heap. And at the close of chapter 3, into the beginning of chapter 4, we find that they moved on dry ground. They moved over on dry ground. And so the Lord tells Joshua to take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, one for each of the 12 tribes, and set that up as a memorial those 12 stones as a 
a memorial to remind them what God had done for them, remind them of his power, to remind that he did the same for for them as he had done for Moses. And it served as a memorial, a testimony to all their children, and not just their children, but to all the peoples of the earth, that they might know the hand of the Lord is powerful. Do you believe that this morning? The hand of the Lord is powerful. It's powerful. And of course, we see this when we get into this particular passage, because it says, now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard, they got report that the Lord had dried up the Jordan, it says that their hearts melted. They no longer had any courage. Why? Because they knew that this was the Lord's presence and his power at work and that he was with the Israelites. So here they are. I want you to think about this for a moment. It would seem to me that they're just kind of rolling on. This is good stuff. How many know this morning that when God is manifesting his power and his presence and you're just kind of moving along it's sort of like you're on a roll you know how you win a, you're, you're, you're playing a game and maybe it's a game that's got dice in it and, and you just keep on rolling you're getting the right numbers and boom you're moving across the board you're on a roll and this is what was happening I'm seeing with the Israelites they're sort of on a roll they're just rolling on here with God but God always has his timing, doesn't he? God always has his time. He's always on time. I think of Abraham. Remember when Abraham, he was promised a son, and how many, like Abraham, we want everything to happen now? Some people say this is the microwave generation. But how many know they want it now? And so Abraham had to wait quite a long time, didn't he? 13 years, I believe it was, in his old age for the promise to come. Moses was 40 when God met him in the, in the burning bush. And he tried to take his, or I think, excuse me, I think he was 80 years old when he met God in the burning bush. And he, he tried to take matters in his own hands many years before that. And it didn't work. And our leader Joshua here, he's about the same age, commander-in-chief here. It took a long time. But here's the interesting thing is that how many understand that the reason why God sometimes takes time is because God is in a mode of preparing us. You see, there's times when we want to move and God says, don't move. God says, stop for a moment. Maybe it's for a few years. Because I want you to understand this is that God is more concerned about who we are than what we do. Did you catch that? God is more concerned about who we are than just what we do because what we do flows out of who we are. Reminds me of a a guy who went to a a fried chicken place and he got some fried chicken, bought a couple of chicken dinners for himself and the lady that was with him. And... uh, the young woman that was at the counter inadvertently gave him a bag that instead of fried chicken being in the bag, there was actually quite a lot of money in the bag. There was eight or a thousand bucks, eight hundred or a thousand bucks in the bag. 
And so they went to the picnic site, the two of them, and finally, you know, opened up the one bag, and here's the, the chicken, and then he's opened up the other bag, and whoa, there's a bit of cash in here. Like, whoa. Hmm. So thought he'd do the right thing. And so he takes the bag, and he gets back in the car, and he goes back to the restaurant, and he, uh, he hands the bag to the manager and says, you know, I, I came and I had bought two chicken dinners, but when we got to the picnic site... I found that I had one chicken dinner in one bag and I had this money in the other. And since the money wasn't ours, I thought I would come back, bring it back to the restaurant. And uh, so he was like an instant hero. Manager was all excited. Oh, man, there's people who are so honest and they have integrity in the world. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to get the newspaper to come and we're going to put you right on the front page. Oh, no, 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 you can't do that. You see, the lady I'm with is not my wife. (laughs) Yeah, integrity, right? Honesty. So it's not just about what you do, it's about who you are. Amen? He looked honest. (laughs) Yeah. So what you do flows out of who you are. And so we find in chapter 4 that this is an important stop that the Israelites are making. Because it was a place, Gilgal served as a place for them to stop and to reflect and remember. We do that when we have the Lord's, when we celebrate the Lord's table. We're stopping and we're reflecting on what God has done for us. The miracle that God wrought for them during their journey to conquest. God tells them, build this memorial, 12 stones. And so that they could testify. I love testimonies because it reminds us of what God has able to do in the past, but it also tells me of what he can do now and in the future. And so they look back, and they can have their faith strengthened. And the nations would know what the Lord had done for them, and they would fear the Lord. But here we are in chapter 5. And it's not just a, a memorial. It's not just a place of commemoration. But it's interesting that Gilgal serves as a place, as they are preparing to go to battle, it serves as a place not just of commemoration, but also of consecration. Look at verse 2. It says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites. Preparation. How many know before you go and you do a job, you have to get prepared for it? If, you ever, if you've ever applied for a job, you'll happen to notice that there's qualifications for the job. Did you ever note that? They'll say that you need to have certain education, perhaps certain skills, certain experience before you can be considered. And so here's the Israelites are stopping because God is doing a work of preparation. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I can be impatient at times. I just want to forge ahead. I just want to forge ahead, just want to get moving on to it. But sometimes, if we just move ahead of God and what he's trying to do, we'll mess it up. So there's a work of preparation. John the Baptist was prepared in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. The disciples spent three and a half years learning at the Master's feet and then waiting 10 more days before they were filled and empowered of the Holy Spirit, Before because he, he told them, wait into the city until you've been clothed with power. It's preparation time. 
The Apostle Paul spent about the same amount of time learning from the apostles in Jerusalem before he would move on to fulfill his calling, all for the purpose of preparation. And so it's here at Gilgal that we find that Israelites are being spiritually prepared. So what was the spiritual preparation? I want to point out this. I want to point out that they had to be consecrated. Consecration. What does it mean to be consecrated? Consecration means it's the act of setting something apart. So whether that be an item, like a a piece of furniture, for example, all the furniture in in the tabernacle was consecrated. It was set apart. It was sacred. Also, we find that people are set apart. Remember when they anointed Aaron and, his, and the sons, the Levites, or, or excuse me, his, the, yeah, the, 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 the priesthood. Aaron was set apart to serve as a, as a priest. And so we find here that consecration is, a, is an act of setting apart. And that whole idea of consecration flows through the entire Bible. We know that in the law of Moses, it ordained that the firstborn would be consecrated to Jehovah. The whole race of Abraham, the Hebrew people, were to be consecrated in worship to the Lord. And as I already mentioned, the tribe of Levi, the family of Aaron, separated in service to God. Various articles of the, of the, of the temple, the tabernacle. Hannah, as an example, devoted Samuel to a lifetime of service in the tabernacle. Samson had a very strict Nazarite vow, and he was set apart as an instrument of the Lord to, to begin the de- deliverance of the Israelites from the Philistines. And in this chapter, before they move into battle, before they did, they had to be set apart. And so God says to Joshua, here's what you need to do. You need to circumcise this new generation of Israelite men. Why circumcision? Two things. Number one, it was a sign of separation from the world and of consecration unto God. It was an external token of a covenant relationship with God. A covenant where if the people obeyed the Lord, they followed his statutes and decrees, his word, he would reward them by giving them constant care, he would give them temporal prosperity, and he would give them victory over their enemies. Sounds pretty good to me, amen? But it was also conditional. So it was an external token of a covenant, but it was also conditional. If they kept the covenant, they would be blessed. But if they broke the covenant, they would be cursed. So when God makes a covenant, it's like this. If you will do this, then I will do that. If you obey, I will bless. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. Here's the issue. The issue is that the first generation that that, uh, bore the mark, they didn't have that circumcision of the heart. In other words, they looked like covenant people. But they didn't act like covenant people. And I could stop right there and say, you know, I believe that's part of the issue as well in the wider church. Is that we, because I want you to understand this morning that there is a new covenant that has been enacted by Jesus. And we are beneficiaries of that new covenant. How many are are glad that God made a New Testament in the blood of Jesus? That no longer do we have to come in here and bring your bulls and your goats and 
pigeons, maybe if you got them in doves, if you, if you don't have, you know, that's, that's for those who can't afford to get the bulls and the goats. And you, you come in here, and the next thing you know, you'd be offering up, and we'd be just, this would just be a slaughterhouse. And we'd be changing the carpet every week. But instead, there's a new covenant in the blood of Jesus where we don't have to do that over and over and over because Jesus is no longer on the cross. He is, he's, been, he's been buried. He's been resurrected. The cross and the tomb are empty. And because of what we've been referring to this morning in the songs, that the grave is empty, and because the grave is empty, he has called us forth to new life. Amen? He's called us forth. Our debt is all paid. And we are beneficiaries of the new covenant. But folks, when it comes to the new covenant that God has enacted, there's also obligations. Remember what Paul said? He said to the Romans, he said, your obligation, your, your obligation is no longer to the flesh. It's to the spirit. Amen? It's to the spirit. Because if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap what? Death. But if, if you sow to the Spirit, if you yield to the Spirit, it's life and peace. And so that even though our sins have been forgiven, praise God, there is still a covenant relationship that we have with our Lord. And there's also a covenant relationship that we have with one another. But interesting, here is they looked like covenant people. They didn't act like covenant people. They were hard-hearted, they were rebellious, they were unbelieving, they are sinful. But here at, at Gilgal, the Lord is calling this new generation to do something. You know what he's calling them to do? He's saying, cut off the flesh. Cut off the flesh. Renew your covenant relationship to the Lord as a holy people. And is that really not what the call is to us as well? That we are talking circumcision of the heart here. It means that we are no longer controlled by the sinful nature. We are to put it off. The Bible says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Romans 8 says, for we have been linked together, united together in likeness of, of, of his death, certainly. We shall also be in his likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Romans 12 says, Therefore, brother, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You see, we're no longer to be serving the flesh and its desires, its appetites, its wants, its motivations, its decision or its direction, but instead we are to put it off. We are to take the sword to it. And how many know we have a sword of the Spirit that does a real good job of surgically removing the flesh? You ever read your Bible and all of a sudden God is... He's got the flashlight on something where he's knocking on your heart's door. He's showing you things. He's, he, and he's saying to you, okay, it's time. It's time to hollow the knife. It's time to cut it away.
It's hindering you. It's stopping you from moving into all that I want for you. It's time to cut it off. Practical terms. Romans 2, Paul says, circumcision of the heart is by the Spirit. It's not by the written code, but it's by the Spirit. And it means that our minds, our attitudes are to be controlled by the Spirit, which I said before, produces life and peace. And so, what is our relationship to Christ and the church? What is our relationship? Are we thinking in the way that God would want us to think and living the way that God wants us to live? I know there's some people who think, you know, when it comes to covenant relationship, that's only a relationship between me and God. But folks, I want you to understand that when it comes to our relationship with, with me and God, it flows into relationship with his children. Because we are all part of a family. And family is established by covenant. Amen? Established by covenant. When... Well, I, I just remember, what, it's almost 20 years ago, right? Almost 20 years ago. November the 1st, it'll be 20 years. It was a day I sat down at a table. And actually, before I sat down at the table, what did I do? Well, I stood before the Lord, my wife-to-be, the people that were there, and I said, I will, or I do. And I made a covenant relationship with my, now my wife. And I sat down and I said, guess what? I took my pen, and I put my name on that paper and I said, we're good to go. And it's not just in, it's, it's not in, uh, what did I call it the other day? Christine, you have to help me out here. It wasn't in richness and in wealth, right, that I made my, you ever, you ever hear, you know, sickness and health? I, I, I kind of said, hey, it's not about, it's not in richness and in wealth. Now, if things go south, we just, uh, we just hit the, the button and, and boost ourselves out of there. No, it's the good times and the bad times. It's in the mountain peaks and the valleys. It's when things are going well and when things are not going so well that we're going to stick it out. And guess what? There are times, husbands and wives, you, you probably could say that there's been at least one time in 20 years that you were married that you may have disagreed. Maybe somebody offended you. Maybe your wife or your husband might have said something or done something that they offended you and you didn't say, that's it. You burnt my toast. Or guess what? The pasta stuck to the bottom of the pot. That's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. No. I don't know about you, but forgiveness, reconciliation, me getting over my stubbornness, my pride, because it's still there. It's being honest, being transparent. I, got, I still have some stubbornness in there. I still have some pride. I still want to be right. But I'm never right, and it drives me crazy. But despite the fact that I have these things, and despite the fact that we may have disagreements, we made a covenant to one another, consecrated it's you and me and no one else when it comes to coming into our relationship. We're going to be sticking to you, me, and the Lord. And that's how we're going to build our family. That's how we're going to build our life. So this morning, how many know it's important to walk in covenant with God? 
It's important to walk in covenant with his people. It's important to be in fellowship. It's important to live with accountability and sacrificial commitment because it's not about relationship on, based on convenience. These are the things that contrast the flesh and the spirit. So how do we circumcise our hearts? Paul said it was by the spirit. Joshua 5 verse 2, they were to take sharp Knives. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living, is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That is how, that's the knife that we are to use. And if we're going to be in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, we all, every single one of us, we need to subject ourselves to himself and to the sharpness of his, of his word. Do you believe that this morning? We need to stop at Gilgal so that we can be, be prepared. The second place, the second thing I want to highlight this morning is this, that besides being a place of commemoration and consecration, it was a place of restoration. Look at verse 9 with me this morning. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So, the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Now notice this. It's very interesting. It's, now the question is, why did he say that the reproach had been rolled away? What did he mean? What did he mean by that? Keep in mind that God didn't say that before they were circumcised. He said after the whole nation had been circumcised. So what, is it, what does it have to do with? The key word here is reproach. Reproach means dishonor. The, ro- repro- uh, the word means shame. The shame that they acquired, listen to this, the shame that they acquired from being slaves in Egypt. Here's what's interesting. One guy said to his friend, he said, hey, you look really depressed today. What are you thinking about? And the quick answer was, my future. And the guy said, what makes it look so hopeless? His answer was, my past. Harry S. Truman was one time said this. He said that men who live in the past remind me of a toy I'm sure you've seen. He said the toy is a small wooden bird called the flugy bird or the floggy bird. And around the floggy bird's neck is a label reading, I fly backwards. I don't care where I'm going. I just want to see where I've been. You know what, God? It's interesting that there's a lot of people who are always looking backwards at their past. If you look at the majority of our conversation, what do we talk about? Stuff that we did yesterday, last week, months ago, years ago. Right? Majority of our thoughts. They're rooted in the past. And that's the problem. The problem is we tend to dwell on the past. We tend to build a little mound and sit there and we talk about all of our past failures and and we think about all of our regrets and and so on and so forth. You know, who we we were, where where we were, the things we did, the things we said, the places we went, the activities and lifestyle and all that sort of stuff. And I'll tell you what it is. It's, It's the slavery mindset of Egypt. And there's a lot of Christians that are stuck there. And they become prisoners of who they were and where they were. 
prisoners of the past. And we dwell on these things. And what does it do? It creates false shame, false guilt. And it affects our ability to see clearly that God has a good plan for your future. Churches get stuck in this way. They look at back at the past and the things that shaped where they've gotten today. Listen, it's great to look at the past, learn from the past, but guess what? Learn from the past and move forward, amen? Move forward in God. Because I want you to know this morning is that God is greater than any of our past failures, our past mistakes, all of our shame, all of our guilt. Listen, Jesus took care of it at the cross. The debt's been paid. It's time to move on. Looking forward, amen? Because he's got a hope and a future for us. We don't want to be flying backwards. And so there was a remedy here. And that God was calling Israel to a place where they saw themselves, who they were now in him. They had to have a change of identity. It reminds me of a story. And there was a man who was walking in the forest one day. You might have heard this before. And he found a young eagle. And the eagle had fallen out of his nest. So he took it home and he put it in the barnyard. And so the eagle, soon looking around, all the chickens in the barnyard started eating like a chicken. Started behaving like the chicken, clucking like a chicken, you know, pecking like a chicken, moving like a chicken. And so one day there was a naturalist and he was passing by. And he looked in the farm and he said, he said, why is it that the king of all the birds would be confined to live in a barnyard with the chickens? And see, the farmer had replied that since he had given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken, it had never learned to fly. And so it behaved with his chicken. It didn't live like an eagle. And here's what the naturalist says. The naturalist said, he said, still it has the heart of an eagle and surely can be taught to fly. And so he lifted the eagle skyward and he said, you belong to the sky and not to the earth. Stretch forth your wings and fly. But the eagle was kind of confused. Didn't know who he was. So he saw the chicken were eating their food and so he just dumped down and he started pecking like a chicken. So the naturalist took the bird to the roof of the house and he urged him again saying, you're an eagle, stretch forth your wings and fly. And the eagle was afraid. He didn't know who he was. He jumped down once more and he got into the chicken food. And finally he took him to a high mountain. And there he held the king of the birds high above him and he encouraged him saying, you are an eagle, you belong to the sky, stretch forth your wings and fly. And the eagle looked around and he looked backwards to the barnyard. He looked backwards to the barnyard, but then he looked up to the sky. And then the naturalist lifted him straight up toward the sun, and it happened that the eagle began to tremble, and slowly he stretched his wings. He gave a triumphant cry, and he soared away into the heavens. What's the point? The point is, there may be some of us here that we have to get our eyes off the barnyard and onto the sky. To know who you are. You see, the Word of God says this. It says in John 1 that you are a child of God. That means you are a son and you're a daughter. And if He is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, you have the royal blood of heaven in your veins. You're a child of God. Romans 5 says that you have been justified. Romans 8 says that all things work together for good. 
Philippians 3, that you are seated in heavenly places. 2 Timothy 1, that you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Ephesians 1, you are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1, you are homely and blameless. You are adopted as a child of God. You have redemption. You are forgiven. You have purpose. You have hope. You are a saint. You are a member of God's household. You are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. You have a new attitude and a lifestyle. You have God's power in you. You are promised eternal life. You've been promised a full life. You are victorious, blameless. You've been set free. You've been crucified with Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You have the righteousness of God. You've been healed from sin. You're no longer condemned. You are born again. You're a new creation. You're delivered, redeemed from the curse of the law, qualified to share in his inheritance. You are victorious because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is who you are. The reproach has been rolled away. So you're not a barnyard chicken. Amen? And see, all of a sudden now, could you imagine being among those Israelites with the reproach and the shame has now been rolled away and they're beginning to realize who they are as God's people. And so what are they being in the new? Look at verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. They celebrated. Sometimes we sort of do this solemnly. But this was a celebration. Amen? What did it mean? It meant that the lamb had been slain it meant that the blood of the lamb was put over the doorpost of the house so that when the death angel passed, the death angel would pass over them. Amen? Because of the lamb of God, they were delivered. They were rescued. They were free. They, were no, they weren't under the condemnation of Egypt. And it's significant. It's significant because... The Passover, because you see, the Passover had been observed only twice before that. Once when the Israelites went out of Egypt, and the other time at Mount Sinai. So this is very important. It was a feast of worship. It was a feast of remembrance. It was a feast of fellowship. But it had been abandoned, not by choice, but by God's command. And the reason was is that there were restrictions concerning the Passover in Exodus 12, that no uncircumcised person was to partake of the feast. But now, everything's changed. Now, there's a renewing of the covenant. And as soon as they were renewed the covenant, indicating that now we are devoting ourselves to follow God's law, we are devoted to be His covenant people, we have renewed that relationship that their disgrace had been rolled away, their identity was now restored, and God was restoring them to proper fellowship. Now they have privilege to commune with him. And the third thing, the last thing, and I'm moving very quickly here, that Gilgal was not only a place of consecration, not only a place of restoring their identity, but also the re restoration of their worship and their fellowship with God. So here's what was happening. Number one, they were reminded of God, who God was, that he's holy, that he's almighty, that he's sovereign, that he's worthy of our love, our adoration, our very lives. Number two, they were reminded of who they were. 
And when we compare, you know, when, when we compare ourselves to a holy God, the mirror that, sh- that, that is, is before us shows us that we are in need of cleansing. Isaiah, in the presence of a holy God, cried, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And for the Israelites, it reminded them that at one time they were slaves to sin, that they were on their way down the wrong path. But number three, they were reminded of what God had did for them. The Passover reminded them, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and that God was now leading them to inherit the land of promise. Can I say this morning that God is, wants to lead us into an abundant life, into a hope and a future. And I believe that, that the work is just getting rolling again. But there's a time and a season of preparation, and preparing our hearts before the Lord. And I want to challenge us this morning as we move to time of communion and as we ask the worship team to come back to the platform and if they could sing that song um, oh my goodness yes that's the one thank you thank you praise his name my shame there we go draw me with loving kindness yes washed so you have redeemed, you have redeemed and made me whole. Grace, grace, you show me grace. You lifted my shame, draw me with loving kindness. who have been selected this morning to to distribute the elements this morning of communion.
broken every chain with love and mercy you have triumphed over death We uh, we do this solemnly, but this is this is a time to celebrate, amen. This really is celebration time. That Jesus has won us, just like just like when God brought out the children of Israel out of Egypt, and and so what has He done? He's broken every chain, every chain, in Jesus' name. And it's because of his love, it's because of his mercy, it's his grace, his forgiveness, his loving kindness toward us that not only has he triumphed over death, but because of his triumph, we are also overcomers. That's who we are in Jesus. Amen? And so it's, a, it's really about singing and shouting and declaring what God has done so that others can come and experience what we have experienced, that they can know him. And that's the mission, amen? That's the mission that God is calling us to. And he's calling us to be prepared. He's calling us to get ready. He's calling us to prepare our hearts. He's calling us to prepare our minds. He's asking us to be people who covenant with him and walk by the Holy Spirit. Because it's part of who we are, and he will use 
He will use us to do great and wonderful things as he continues to prepare our hearts. Paul writing to the Corinthians, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, we stop and we pause and we think, just like the Israelites were called to build that memorial, to remember what God had did for them. We stop right now and we reflect and we remember. And we think of how you went to the cross for us. We think of how you were flogged, how the crown of thorns went upon your head, how you were beaten, you were bruised, your body broken for us so that we could enjoy and be beneficiaries of the new covenant. And so this morning, we ask your blessing upon not just the element that we're about to receive, but Lord, that you'd also, there will be a, a blessing upon this family of believers as they partake and as they remember and as they do it in an act of commemoration and worship to you this morning. And that God, may it be today a renewing, a sign to not only ourselves, but others around us, that we are renewing, we are partaking of this covenant, we are renewing it in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Say together. Praise you, Lord. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I'm going to ask Sister Martha this morning if she would just ask God to bless this portion as we receive it. Lord, we thank you that you shed your blood for us. This is our lifeblood that you have given, that we may live. Your death is our, our life, and we thank you, Lord. And as we take this and remember that, we commit ourselves once more to serve you and to live for you. We thank you, Lord. Amen. So the worship team has a, one more song, is so we're gonna we're just gonna continue to celebrate and worship the Lord. And keep in mind that worshiping God is is not just what we do on Sunday; it's with our entire lives. History, death is beaten. You have rescued me. Sing it out. Jesus is alive. cross the empty grave life eternal you have won the day shout it out jesus is alive he's alive and oh happy day happy day you washed my sin away oh happy day happy day i'll never be the same Oh, 
I'm yours, Jesus, you are mine. And destroy perfect peace, earthly pain finally will cease. Celebrate, Jesus is alive, he's alive. And oh, happy day, happy day, you wash my sin away, oh. Forever I am changed. 
day. You wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. Oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. Oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sin away. Oh, happy day. 